Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Good morning, church. I'm super excited for this one because, uh, Lord willing, this is our last online-only message. How exciting is that? Next week, uh, next Sunday, we'll be gathering together if you are able, and so that will be great. And for those of you who um, might find it wise to continue to stay home for a while, that is perfectly fine. Uh, we will miss you, but we are um, going to try our best to be providing um, an online message, online component, uh, so that you can um, be with us in that way. So we're, we're really excited. I'm really, really excited to see you next week and uh, for lots of reasons. And one of the big reasons is I am just weary. I'm just weary. Are you weary? I'm just tired. Are you tired? You know, it's just what a, what a crazy, crazy time. I mean, we, we think we're getting out of this COVID thing and these quarantines and getting excited about meeting with church again. And then we wake up uh, one day and we see a, a, a man named George Floyd, a black man who on our TV screens, on our computers, we watch um, die right before our eyes. And it's everywhere. And it's shaping these next several weeks or months or years. And it's on the hearts of everyone around the world. And I mean, it's, it would be unthinkable not to be incredibly moved and incredibly outraged by the senseless loss of life there. And you know, does, this doesn't make it any worse, but uh, I, I read an article um, about George, and it seems, seems like he was a, a gospel-believing Christian who was uh, committed to his community and committed to, to the gospel in his community. And, and you see that, and of course, it doesn't make it any worse, any loss of life, and especially in that way, it's just absolutely tragic. And and, and unjust, and but but hearing that he's a brother in Christ, I mean, there's a an extra element in there to me that that um, is weighs heavy, and I'm sure it does for you as well. And I hope it does for you as well. And, and that weariness uh, continues into that, into into this. We're talking about r racism, we're talking about it again, racism, and it's just a. It, there, there are no words, and to see peaceful protests against um, against injustice and against police brutality um, being transformed and being hijacked and sabotaged by by violence and rioters, and so you have these peaceful protests and and just inundated with violence, and it's just awful to see, and you see that everywhere, 
And then you have good police officers that, that we all love and that we know. You've got good police officers that are being called bad police officers when they're not bad police officers, when they're, when they're officers that I would trust anyone's life to, and then they're grouped in and they're put in harm's way and you just, you, just weary. And seeing the, the church Mallory and I attended in California, people we love dearly, um, these, the, the violence has, has made the situation such that there's a curfew now in Los Angeles. And seeing my, that, that church that we love and my friends that attend that church, my friend that pastors that church, trying to pastor under a curfew. And, um, and all this after months of COVID and quarantine and not attending with church family and uh, over 100,000 Americans dead and all these, all these things. I mean, it just... Just weary. And of course, this weariness of what's going on in the world just compounds the weariness that we might feel in our own lives for any number of situations that, that we're in. Cancer or divorce or marital strife, marital issues or unbelieving family members, the weight of that or, or debt I mean, there's just a countless things that go on in our own lives that just weigh us down and are weary. And then you throw in our, our cell phones and our computers and our television screens that are just filled with sorrow and suffering and injustice. And I mean, it's just a lot. So I'm weary. I'm weary. And I know I've talked to many, many of you and you're weary as well. And is our, I think the first question is, uh, is our weariness unique? Maybe we're in a unique time and situation where uh, weariness is here for the first time. Is, are we unique in this? As, a, as the world right now unique? No. No, there's been weariness, weary situations, suffering and injustice throughout history. Why? Because we are sinful. Because uh, there's injustice in my life. There's weariness in my life. There's wrong in my life because of my sinfulness, because of other people's sinfulness, because the world is just filled with sin. The world is broken. So no, this is not a unique thing. Is our personal weariness unique? Are we weary and no one else is weary? No, other people are weary. This is not something, if we're weary, we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. In fact, that's one of the, that's something that should unify us as a church. As the scripture says, mourn with those who mourn. That, that weariness and suffering is in all of our lives. And maybe you're, you're young enough to where you haven't felt suffering in a really deep way yet, but you will. And so church, one of the things that unites us is that we've all experienced suffering. None of us have have escaped weariness and suffering and sadness and heartbreak and sin. None of us have. And that, so that, that can unite us because we're saved in Christ and we, we, are, we know that He will take away our weariness and all these things. So we, that unites us. So no, it's not a unique time in history. It's not a unique time for us personally to be weary. And as we end, we, we started this passage uh, several weeks ago now in Isaiah. And, and our, of course, we're not unique. The world now is not unique in this weariness. We know that. And one of the reasons we know that is because Judah, 
who we've been reading about for several weeks, was weary and suffered greatly. And we, let me read you some of the suffering. So we know, we've talked about the situation, and Isaiah is prophesying about what Judah will be going through in exile, be ripped from their, the land and cast off into Babylon and all the things happening. And then listen to, to what Isaiah prophesies. And think about the weariness and suffering that these people are going through. This is Isaiah 39, uh, 6 through 7. He says this, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that, wi- that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Can you imagine the weariness from that that's going to that's gonna unfold in that situation for Judah? That Think about all the things that your father, that your families have worked for. Your, your family's legacy in the past all ripped up and given to your enemies. Suffering and weariness. And not just that. Think about this. He says, your family line will be snuffed out. He says, some of your sons that you will bring into the world will end up eunuchs in Babylon. Can you think about that? So, your family legacy in the past, ripped up, given to Babylon. You're hopeful, you're hoping that your family line is going to be a strong one. You're going to leave a legacy and they say, nope, you're going to have sons and some of your sons will be taken to Babylon and they will never have children. Think about the weariness of that. The suffering that not only their sons will take, but you will take knowing that this will happen. And so Isaiah is writing chapter 40 to a people that is looking ahead to this prophecy taking place and, and knows, know that they will be cast into this suffering situation because of their sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. They'll be cast into a suffering situation, a situation where, where they will be tremendously weary. Not only them, but their family will be tremendously weary. And maybe if you're not convinced that this is going to happen, that weariness and suffering will happen to you, maybe it's unique to them or to everyone else, but not you. Our passage today in verse 30 really sets us up that we will all experience this. Chapter 40, verse 30 says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And so the idea is, when the Hebrew talks about youths and young men, the picture is young, vibrant, strong, military men. If they get weary and fall, who among us is going to go through life strong and standing all the time? Who among us is going to go through life never weary, never suffering? If they do, what hope is there for me? All, even, 
Youths shall faint and be weary. Even young men, the best among us, the strongest among us, the most determined among us, even they shall fall exhausted. So no, we're not unique. Weariness and suffering is universal. Since the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned and brought humanity and all of creation, suffering and death, is going to be part of our story, all of us. And as Isaiah is laying this prophecy out for Judah and for Israel too, as we're seeing this, he prophesies about their response. What's our response when we suffer, when we are weary? As believers, as God's people in Jesus Christ, let's set aside non-believers for now. As believers, what is our response in the middle of weariness? in the middle of suffering. Well, we know what Judah, what Judah's response is going to be. And, and I think in Judah's response, we can see the temptation for ourselves when we're in the middle of suffering, when the, we're in the middle of weariness. And probably right now, what is our temptation right now with all this extra weariness on top of our own stuff that we've got going on in our home and in our heart? What are we tempted, how are we tempted to respond how does Judah and Israel respond to the suffering from Assyria and Babylon and their exile? Verse 27, Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So we see their response. We see our temptation as God's people, what we're tempted to respond, that what the enemy, how the enemy wants us to respond is this. God must not see. God must have forgotten me. God must not be there. God must not be big enough or strong enough or smart enough. You see that? My way is hidden from the Lord. He can't see. He must not be able to see. If I'm, if I'm suffering this way, he must not be able to see what I'm going through. And this idea that God is, is too weak or, too, or he's lacking something, that I'm suffering because God is lacking something, is more like the deist God. Some of our founding fathers, like Ben Franklin, that this God is a God that winds up the universe, lets it go, and then whoop, Goes off and doesn't really care. This type of God is the God of the Babylonians who, who, where they are going. The Babylonians worship gods like these. Gods that can be tricked. Gods that, can be, that you can hide from. Gods that get drunk and make poor decisions. Gods that can be defeated. Those are Babylonian gods. These are Canaanite gods who fall asleep, who get distracted by dinner, who have to relieve themselves and miss important moments in human history. Those are the Canaanite gods. And Christians can fall into this. Christians could fall into this idea that God, that these events are happening because God is not all in control or He's not strong enough. We say things like, the devil is winning. 
or evil has won. And when we say this, we're saying things like, God is on the ropes. Jesus is on the ropes. Or, I'm on my own. Or, I must have been left by God. The other response that we're tempted to make that Israel and Judah are making is this, and my right is disregarded by my God. What's that saying? Saying I'm suffering in this way because God is not good. Perish the thought. How many times do we think that? Or maybe I'm a Christian and uh, long enough and I'm self-righteous enough that I don't put it in those terms, but deep down in my heart, that's what I'm saying. When I suffer in such a way, I'm suffering in such a way, God has broken His deal. I told Him I'd follow Jesus. I told Him I'd go to church. I told Him I'd tithe as long as He takes care of my life and my life is silky smooth. That's the deal. Do you think that's the deal? That's the pagan gods of Babylon and of Canaan. That's the statue of the Buddha I saw in Cambodia where people come and they give food and they give water and they give money at the feet of these statues in hopes that their life will go well. This is the false prosperity gospel that is prevalent in America. This idea that the deal between me and God is if I do good and I have enough quote-unquote faith that God will give me money and success and a new car and a new house. That He will Heal me. If I do good enough, He will heal me. That's paganism that's leading people away from the gospel. I mean, it, it, we, it should drive us absolutely insane. Sow a seed. I saw this on a video today. Sow the seed of a thousand dollar donation and God will prosper you. I always tell people, if you're wondering if that's going to work out, hey, send me the $1,000 check and just see if that works out for you. I'll be part of your experiment. This idea is saying, my agenda must be God's agenda. This idea is saying, on the flip side of that, the prideful thing of God, my agenda must be God's agenda. It must be God's agenda. If it's not, God is... Messed up is not good. And then the flip side of that is a much more humble way. It's saying, maybe I have offended God in a way that He has left me. So are these true? Judah, when everything your family has worked for is ripped up, when your sons are made eunuchs and your family line is cut off, when your kids are ripped from the land and taken into exile. And kids, when you're in exile and slaves to Babylon, is it because God is absent or weak 
or evil? No. No. Isaiah says, no. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? Well, of course, of course they've known. Of course they've heard. How, how do they? They're Israelites. They're God's people. They've known. Have you not known? Thinking that God is asleep or God doesn't know you or God is evil. Haven't you known? Of course you've known. Isaiah must be beside himself. Haven't you known what God has said? Haven't you known what God has done? Parents, how important is it for us to tell our children what God has done? So that when they are slaves in Babylon, that they'll know the truth about who he is. Haven't you known? What haven't you? Of course you've been told. What have you been told? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Absent? Stupid? Asleep? Evil? Impossible! He's the everlasting God. How do we deal with weariness and suffering? How do we deal with these things? We look at the character of God. He is the everlasting God. There is nothing outside of His jurisdiction. Past, present, and future. He is there. He is not asleep. He is not too weak. He is not distracted. You are not strong enough to take his eyes off of the prize. You are not big enough that your sins have, have snapped your relationship with him. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough for that. He's the everlasting God. He's the everlasting God. He is the everlasting God by nature. Everything he does is good. It is impossible for him to be unjust. It is impossible for him to do evil. It's impossible. It's like talking about a, a, a round square. It's like talking about a married bachelor. That's nonsense. God is good. He's always good. Therefore, everything he does is right. Therefore, he, he will not rest until George Floyd is avenged. Do you understand? God has not fallen asleep. He didn't miss it. His cell phone didn't die, and so he missed the video. Injustice will be brought to punishment. He's the everlasting God. Beloved, Paul writes in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And for us puny 
brained humans who live a hundred years on an infinite timeline of God's glory and God's actions. His actions might seem slow to us, but they're not slow. They're precise. He's the everlasting God. He knows precisely when to act that will bring the most justice, the most good, and Him the most glory. He knows precisely when to act. And in His grace, He is slow to this vengeance on sinners like me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And the temptation is to not, to not wish grace on our enemies. And it's so tempting. But here's how God is going to punish evil. He's going to either punish evil on our backs as unrepentant sinners, or He will punish evil on the willing back of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the options. And in God's mercy, He is slow to punish me for my sins. And I came to Christ, and Christ took my sins on His back, and He was punished for them. And now I'm a new creation, wiped clean, and He will make me a perfect person who never is, is, acts unjustly, never sins again. Someday I will be that. He doesn't leave me as I am. He doesn't say, all the bad things, Jordan, that you have done, I'm just going to leave, forget about it, don't worry about it. No, He changes me to where I am a completely different person. And that change will be complete when I see him face to face. We know this. We know, we know God is, is vengeful and wrathful against evil, and that's a good thing. And we know that he is, he is long-suffering, and, and that, that vengeance can, can take time because of his grace and his mercy, calling people to repentance. We know this because we see this in Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Nineveh, Nineveh is the worst place imaginable. God says, Jonah, go there. Tell them if they do not repent for all their injustice and terrible things, I will destroy that city. Jonah says, nope, I'm going this way instead. And and then Jonah tells us why he does that in Jonah 4.2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, after God spares Nineveh, he says, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee away from Nineveh to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster for those who repent. He's the everlasting God. He has got this justice thing down. It will take place. It will happen. Justice will be brought. And it'll be the perfect time to bring the most justice, the most goodness, and Him the most glory. Sometimes it's hard to wait. But He's the everlasting God. It's going to happen. When suffering, we don't say God is absent or He's evil because He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. He says the creator of the ends of the earth. There's not a nation or person on earth or anywhere else that he is not in total kingship over. There are people who buck against it. There are people who run from him that he is mercifully calling and allowing to run from him and is slow to anger. He's allowing these things in his grace. He's allowing these things. They might not realize it. They might be bucking it, but he is king over them. 
Babylon, Assyria, Judah, America, Israel, the Minneapolis, Minneapolis Police Department, China, Hong Kong, they are his. They are not out of his jurisdiction. They don't operate with impunity. They don't operate outside the law. And we know Babylon and Assyria was judged and destroyed. We know that the unrepentant will be judged and punished. We know these things will happen. We know we can rely on him. He's not evil. He's not bad. He's not asleep. Because we know this because he's not like us. He doesn't grow weak or weary. When he sees the evil of racism, he doesn't grow weary. He grows wrathful. We might read this. We might see these things. You might be like me. You watch that video and you just say, oh, I can't watch it. I'm too weary of this to watch it. I'm too cowardly to watch it. I'm too whatever to watch it. We might be in that place. God is not. He does not slow down. He does not need a rest. His plan for the good of His people and for the glory of His name continues every moment of every day. And finally, He's not asleep. He's not evil. We know this. You know this, Isaiah is telling Judah. You know this to be true. His understanding is unsearchable. We might be able to plan and scheme a few months ahead, a few years ahead, but God's understanding events goes down deep. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows every cell of your body. The suffering you are going through, the weariness you are going through, He knows every person involved down to the molecule. And he knows them now. He knows what they're going to be doing in 10 years. He knows what they're going to be doing in 10,000 years in eternity. He knows all. So no, he's not falling asleep. He knows everything. His, his understanding is unsearchable. Unsearchable. So in suffering... And suffering for God's people, suffering for God's people is never, 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 never meaningless. It is never out of control. It never has God stumped. It is never outside the realm of his plan to bring you good and him glory. It's never. God sees, God is above, God is in control, God is ready to act at the time that will bring the most good and justice and glory for his name. That will be the outcome of every event imaginable. He will t 
turn evil for the good of his people and for his glory. Every evil act, everything that brings you suffering, that is the truth of God's word. He is so good, so powerful, so loving that he has promised to twist every evil thing in your life for your eternal good and for his glory. So what's the proper response in the midst of weariness, in the midst of suffering? What's the proper response for God's people? Even youths, verse 30, even youths shall, fall, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Proper response. Understanding who God is, even in the midst of terrible weariness, even in the midst of terrible suffering, the proper response for God's people is to wait on the Lord. A great verse that says this is, Be still and know that I am God. And a great verse. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10 So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to be still and know that He is God? Well, notice Isaiah and God through Isaiah's response to the people asking these questions is not, well, here are the details of when you'll return from exile. Here are the details about your particular suffering and how that will work. Here's the details about how your sons won't be made eunuchs. And here are all the details about your deliverance. He doesn't give those. What does Isaiah give? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It doesn't mean to know the details about our deliverance. Waiting on the Lord means to know the details about our deliverer. You see the difference? Those who wait on the Lord know the details of their Deliverer. He is all-powerful. I can wait. I'm suffering. I can wait. He's all-powerful. He wouldn't let this happen to me if it wasn't for my good. He's all-knowing. He wouldn't let this happen to me if it wasn't for my good. He is everywhere. He wouldn't let this happen to me if it wasn't for my good. He is all-loving towards His people in Jesus Christ. He would not let this happen to me if it wasn't for my good. He gave me Jesus. What would He withhold from me? He's already given me the most precious thing. Therefore, we know that if it happens to me, it is for my ultimate good. God will squeeze out eternal good for me. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to be so awed and joyful at the details of our Deliverer that we can sleep in the storm. That's hard. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? To find the details of our Deliverer calming to our soul and to know that we will be delivered by Him because He is the Deliverer. And listen, modern Christian in 2020, don't we have it so much better than Judah? Because Judah's getting this 
knowing that they're about to go into exile, all these terrible things are going to be happening to them, seeing that coming, going, what? Oh, and Isaiah says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, your deliverer is coming, the deliverance is coming. And now we're 2020 Christians, and we get to look back and we get a picture of our deliverer. And the pieces, the pieces of the puzzle are filled out. We know how we're going to be delivered. We're delivered through the person of Jesus Christ. And we see him in all his glory. How much better do we have it than Judah? Thank the Lord I'm born in 2020. Knowing Jesus is what makes it possible to wait on the Lord in the midst of suffering. Knowing Jesus is what makes being still and knowing that He is Lord possible is knowing the details about our Deliverer. And we've got it so much better because we know a lot about our Deliverer. And we're going to end by looking at our Deliverer, Jesus. Our Deliverer, Jesus, lets us wait on the Lord in the midst of suffering because we can wait like Jesus in weariness. When Jesus was approaching the cross, He was with His disciples. We get this account from Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 36-46 says this, When Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Isn't that amazing? Why can we wait in weariness? We can wait in weariness because our Deliverer knows weariness. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That amazing? Knowing the cross is coming for him knowing the torture and torment of hanging on that cross, taking on the wrath of God for sinful people like me. Jesus is weary to the point of death and sorrow. And he prays, God, Father, I'm going to the cross. I don't want to do that. But I know it's your will. May your will be done. That is how we wait on the Lord. Is it okay to pray for relief from suffering? Absolutely, Jesus did. Does waiting on the Lord mean we just sit back on our lazy boy letting the world fall apart? No. Micah 6.8 What does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. No, action is part of the Christian life. We need to take action against the wrongs in the world, against injustice. We need to take action for the good of the gospel in our neighborhoods and our communities. We need to take action by waiting on the Lord in the midst of suffering is taking on the weariness, feeling the weariness and coming to the Lord and saying, God, if you, if, please take this from me, but I know that your will is best. That's what we see in Jesus. To wait on the Lord means waiting like Jesus in the midst of suffering. We get this in, in 1 Peter. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is our example on waiting on the Lord in the midst of suffering. He committed no sin, neither was he was deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus suffered, he continued entrusting himself to God the Father. To wait on the Lord is to suffer entrusting ourselves to our good Father who knows us is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving. We wait on Jesus. We wait on the Lord when we wait for Jesus because He has delivered us. Ephesians 2, it's too good. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature we were children of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. talk about suffering there's no suffering more than being under the wrath of God and that is the destiny for all who do not repent and follow Jesus think about that suffering we're all under that but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and been raised up with Him and seated with us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's that say? God, through Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from God's wrath, and not just delivered from God's wrath, but through Christ, He made it possible for God to lavish upon us grace and mercy forever and seat us with Jesus in the heavenly places so that forever and eternity we might be the beneficiaries of God's goodness and His grace and His mercy forever. Wait on the Lord in suffering because Jesus has turned aside the deepest suffering that we could ever imagine and he has given us the greatest comfort that we will have in eternity what do we do in suffering we wait on the Lord and finally we wait on Jesus to make all our weariness and suffering our eternal good 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says this, talking to a church, that's suffering for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comprehension. So we fix our eyes not on what we can see, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you understand that? That your suffering, even tremendous suffering of this world, is light and momentary 
in comparison to the eternal glory that your suffering is building up for you. Isn't that amazing? Whatever suffering, Christian, that you are enduring, whatever weariness that you are feeling, whatever suffering you are under, is storing for you an eternal weight of glory. Doesn't matter what it is. Does not matter if it's if it's suffer if it's racism, if it's losing a job, if it's criticism, if it's every bit of suffering we endure as the people of God is building up for us an eternal weight of glory that is in uncomparable with the suffering that we endure now. So when we suffer, no, it is building for us something glorious in eternity. And our eternal God sees us in eternity, thanking Him for allowing us to build up this glory and this suffering for His glory and for our eternal good. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the truth. The suffering you're going through, Christian, is building for you an eternal weight glory. That's how good God is. That's how powerful God is. And that's what allowed Paul to sing hymns in prison. That's what allowed the early church to be martyred for the sake of the gospel, singing songs to the glory of God. That's what led to, it is well with my soul being written. You know that hymn? It is well with my soul was written by a father who lost all of his children on a shipwreck. And as he's passing that spot in the ocean, he writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. How? Because our eternal God our eternal Father is with us, in front of us, behind us, and He has promised that everything that happens to us is for our good and His glory. And so, waiting on our Deliverer by knowing the details of our Deliverer and our ultimate deliverance in Jesus will sustain us through weariness, and through suffering. How could I do it? I'm feeling like I'm just going to fall apart. Jordan, I don't know how to do it. How do, we, how do we do it? We look to Jesus. We know our deliverer. We see our deliverance. And he will give us power to get through it. So what he says, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He doesn't say your suffering will end or your weariness will end here. He says he will give you the power to get through it and not just get through it, but get through it like you're having the wings of eagles. Knowing our deliverer lets Christians fly through the storms of life like we have the wings of eagles. We love you Jesus loves you. We will see you next time.